Podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, what's the Boston College question right now? Do the Boston College thing before we forget again. Yes, our apologies right to now, right now. Our, our apologies to our friend Finn Cooley, who sent us an email on March 7th. We, we teased it two weeks ago, said we would then talk about it the next week, and we are terrible at all of this and forgot completely. So, Finn Cooley, subject line, Boston College. Boston College. I live in Boston, and no one cares about college football here. Yes, I agree. Uh, that's why there's nothing at the Sloan Conference regarding college football, because it's in Boston. I personally have loved Damn. it since the Tebow, Tebow days at Tipu. Okay. <clears throat> We're starting well. I personally loved it since the Tebow days at Florida and eventually adopted Ohio State as my teammate nine years ago when my dad got me an OSU sweatshirt. Since I only know one person around here who cares about CFB, uh, PAPN and SB Nation in general have been awesome for me. Anyway. Does he mean the whole city of Boston? It is a pro i mean well kind of i mean i'm sure there are pockets you can find pockets of interest in boston college football i mean hell you can find a a, like a small pocket of interest in northeastern football if you really wanted to but steve Steve adazio has a hill to climb well i mean he doesn't have a stadium to fill (laughs) uh he doesn't have a humongous stadium to fill or anything it's not like you know they're trying to draw ninety thousand there but regardless it's it's a pretty stadium i hear um, I've been to Boston like eight times. I've never been to Boston Bill, College. we got to answer this Boston College question or the bomb strapped to your chest is going to go off. Um, anyway, I get really frustrated that no one here cares about college football when people are con- completely obsessed with the Pats. Don't they realize it's just more football? Uh, I know that BC hasn't been good or fun recently, but no one cared when Matty Ice was here. Go Falcons at Godfrey. Uh, or even when they upset USC in 2014. What can BC realistically be? In the past three or four years, they've had a Heisman finalist. Oh, that's right. Um, and I think that Bill had them as the best defense in the country two years ago. Uh, Who's the Heisman BC? finalist? Uh, Andre Williams. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? <laughs> that was one of those where everybody, everybody wow. knew he wasn't going to win, so you kind of forget he was invited, but he was invited, I believe. Okay, we got to – everyone listening should craft that into like a fun bet you a beer you can't name X type of trivia question because you will win. That is amazing. There's no that, – that's the best bar trivia question ever. And that feels and like to, 12 I, years. I swear ago. it's like ev- that, that, that falls into everyone's collective blind spot. And that was like 2013 or something, and it feels like tw- 15 years ago. All right, could BC be one of those teams that wins their division on an extremely lucky year, or is that even too, or is even that too much? I don't. I know there isn't a ton. Sorry, there are no paragraph breaks here, and I keep losing my spot because I'm looking at small font. I know there isn't a ton of talent in Massachusetts slash New England high school football, but they are close enough to New Jersey or Maryland to have success there, and New York seems to have been producing more talent recently. Also, there are a lot of kids that leave this area to go to Texas or Florida for high school and end up going to a P, a major P5 school. Why not capitalize on undervalued kids right there? This year, the top recruit in the state was committed to Michigan all the way till December, then flipped to BC. Really? Uh, at least showing they have capable bagmen, I guess. Uh, if none of that works, they could at least do something weird and exciting like triple option or air raid just to get people around here a little more interested. Seems like if they somehow manage eight or nine wins a couple of years in a row, people could start getting more interested uh, and maybe that leads to more recruits staying in state or more donor money. Basically, all this just means I'm a crazy person and obsessed with college football and trying to figure out how to get more people around me to... Uh, how to get more people around me to normalize myself. I'm hoping this is the longest BC email you have had so far. It is. Yes. Uh, but don't complain. Y'all should be happy. I didn't write about UMass yet. 
yet. I like the foreboding nature of it. Yeah, that. yeah, um, no, it's coming. It's coming. Oh. It's funny, too. I use Northeastern as my secondary example. Not freaking UMass, who plays in Gillette Stadium half the time. Um, Bill, it's breaking apart. We haven't even done the show intro yet, but we have to get through this because we've been such terrible, terrible um, parents. No, what's the relationship you have with your listeners? I don't know. Um, Boston College has a perception problem that's not entirely dissimilar to other schools in urban markets. Yeah, I mean, New York is, you know, not a college football place either. You have pockets of success in cities like Los Angeles where the history sides with you, where they, they fight the same fickle fan base, large city, lots of distractions, right? We, we know that song and dance. The difference is USC, UCLA, history, tradition, alumni who are focused. Now, they can be drawn away at times. There's apathy that can set in, but... Um, so if you're looking for like an advice structure, it's not like BC is without history. It's a good Jesuit school, obviously competed with Notre Dame and it has, um, I mean, I don't just want to default to the Flutie, but I mean, there, there, it has touch points. Um, in the 1985 uh, BC yearbook, which I ended up thumbing through for pictures for my book, the 50 best college football teams of all time. Um, they had one of those time capsule lists of like most popular movies per a survey of BC students, most popular, blah, blah, blah. The most popular song list. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was a, it was amazing list overall. I should scroll back through and see if I can find it. Uh, but number three on the list of favorite songs at Boston college in 19, in 1985, I think was Tutti Flutie. Good God. There's always... There should be a roundup of these absolutely terrible folk songs that are written. Like at Ole Miss, there's one that's still on a jukebox called Archie Who, named after Archie Manning. Um, they exist. I know there's one at LSU. Okay, anyways, we're digressing off of a digression. Um, there is no, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful snake eating its tail kind of problem for Boston College. Um, as far as the talent stuff goes, yes, the, 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 Bland, vanilla mission statement for every new head coach that goes to a university that is not an established power is that we are going to lock up recruiting in our region. Because, yes, there's college football talent in every state and to some degree in some capacity at the local high schools, okay? There's talent in Boise, Idaho, and Boise State locks it up, and then they go to places like California, right? That's how they build their, their teams. The same thing can be said in Seattle. It can be said in Minneapolis and so on and so forth. It's not just a traditional bases of power where you're talking about the southeast and florida texas um you know to some degree ohio and then california and so on yes you have to keep the local kids local but you also have to give them an incentive to do so and this is where you get into the ouroboros problem i don't even think i said that right but we're having a slow morning um <laughs> to get local kids to stay local you have to generate a certain level of enthusiasm it's going to be hard in a market that is decidedly pro this is where we talk about having dynamic people. Is Adazio dynamic? He's dynamic in a certain way. I don't know if he's, if he's dynamic. I don't know if he's dynamic in the, in in the right way. No offense. Um, I think as a small tangent, this is why spread air aid, um, whatever iteration, whatever flavor you can think of, became popular in non traditional markets. Was that we can bring you scoring and we can bring you wide open, big passing plays, and that is appealing to a average, non committed consumer. Okay, I'm not saying you put in the spread at Boston College. Um, I, you know, it's it's kind of funny because we've been talking at work about how good do we think Syracuse can be ceiling wise relative to the talent that they have. 
Um, our Richard Johnson is actually working on a story about Cuse right now. It's part yep. of his spring series. And um, I don't know if I necessarily install a, a particular kind of offense, Bill. It's not, it's not an analog to, say, the option at the academies. But I do think in the ACC, which is on, which is way on the way up. I mean, it's on the come up. It's, it's. I have pitched, I think, a story for the fall about how this is the new conference to watch, and when the middle class rises in a conference, that's when you should notice. It's not the top two or three schools. So, how does BC not get left behind, Bill? Well. You know, we can talk about, you know, the uh, dynamics of Steve Adazio's personality. I think the bottom line is, I mean, bringing in stuff like Air Raid, uh, something pointsy, so to speak, um, is a good way, like you said, to kind of earn preliminary goodwill. Uh, I don't know if we're good yet, but we're going to score and our games will be fun. So come check it out. Uh, but eventually you have to win. It all, that's, it, it all comes back to winning, uh, no matter how dynamic your coach is. And so... Um, I mean, it helped in 1984 that Flutie was, you know, 5'8 and looked like a kid from Massachusetts and right. had the belly shirt and was awesome and all of that. But the bottom line is they won a lot of games. That's why he became a folk hero. If they were More belly six, shirts in general. I think we, I think we stand by that. That's a, that, that is a talking point. More belly shirts. I'm not wearing it. Um, but, so, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I've never really heard too much about Jack Bicknell's personality. Uh, but he was the he was at the helm in those years, and uh, even beyond Flutie, they did well for a while. Um, you know, after so they they went ten and two and finished fifth and eighty four with Flutie. Two years later, they were nine and three again. Um, they fell off after that, but then you know Bicknell leaves. Tom Coughlin comes in, go, um, finishes thirteenth and ninety three. They go nine and three that year. Um, you know, and, and Tom Coughlin is not a dynamic personality by any means. So, I mean, I just think it comes down to putting a good product on the field. You can certainly bring in an attractive offense that will win you uh, viewers for a little while, but it comes down to being good. And so the question then is, how do you become good at BC? Well, A, we know they can field an awesome defense. They've done so many, many times over the last 10, 15 years. Um, You know, you can, like I'm pulling up the S&P rankings here. They were ninth in defense in 05, uh, 14th, 18th, 12th, 12th. uh, Fell off for a little while, and then they were second in 2015 again. 21st last year. We know they can feel the top 20 defense. And so then from there, you know, that's a good place to start. Then the question is, like, what offensive talent can we actually attract? That honestly, I mean, uh, an options type of system might make a lot of sense there because if nothing else, then you can kind of – you know, as long as you've got some speed at the slot back position, you're you're filling a role. Obviously, with Georgia Tech in the conference, it wouldn't be a complete um, like once a year surprise for teams in the ACC. But if you can get good at it and you can recruit decent talent to the defensive side of the ball, where you have a top five, ten, fifteen, whatever defense, that's a good team. And we're talking about the middle class. That absolutely puts you in the middle class. Whether so this you is want just more. this is another one of those schools where we kind of we we just kind of walk in circles and can't figure out necessarily like an A-plus maneuver, and we just end <laughs> up saying that they should hire Willie Fritz. Sure. Do something and, uh, dynamic, slightly different. You can recruit to the system. It's not quite a triple option. It's run-based, athletic, da 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 Bring back Spaz for the defense. You know what? We don't like to be outwardly negative, especially when these little niche markets, which we love so much, they ride in with their fans and their their aspirations. But I do think it is a testament to the league that it's hard to find a good sort of like high ceiling scenario for Boston College right now. I think that just yeah. I mean, they could absolutely be like a top thirty or forty team, no problem. 
well, I mean, problem, it's hard, but it, it could be done. But, right, like what that gets you in the ACC now is different than what it might have gotten you five years ago. Absolutely. Bill. By the way, by the way, by the way. Bill. Class of 1985, Boston College. Uh, favorite, uh, favorite female vocalists, number three, Tina Turner. Tiffany. Number two, Di- Diana Ross. Number one, Madonna. Tiffany. Favorite comedians, number three, David Letterman. Number two, Bill Murray. Number one, Eddie Murray. Uh, Bill, yeah, Eddie Murphy, excuse me. Not, not the Baltimore Orioles first baseman, Eddie Murray. Um, favorite comedians, number three, Gilda Radner. Number two, Carol Barnett. Burnett. Number Burnett. one, Joan Rivers. Yeah, I'm fine with that list. Bill. He, one more, one more, I promise. Heroes. Top three heroes. Number three, mom and dad. Number two, John F. Kennedy. Number one, Doug Flutie. This is podcast ain't played nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. He is the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He is the proprietor of SB Nation's football study hall. He is the author of the currently available book, 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time, asterisk. My name is Stephen Godfrey, and I've been hiding out in the Deep South. And that's all I can say about that. And, as far and as a Parts favorite, Unknown or, podcast, because I am Parts Unknown today, I am not in a Hampton Inn. This is oh. a pretty solid audio quality. I'm, I'm pretty and impressed you've got with birds in the background somewhere. I do, I but, and that's not even a metaphor. Um, Bill. Something yep. happened in the midst of NCAA basketball. A little oh, yeah. realignment talk. Oh. You, were you aware of this? <laughs> now I was. I, I don't was. even want to have to talk about this so much because it's one of the rarest of birds. We'll just create a theme. And that's a basketball-driven expansion speculation. Very strange, right? As we know, football is the economic driver between, you know, for realignment for television contracts. You name it. And yet, here we are talking about Wichita State going to our beloved American Athletic Conference. <laughs> I don't know if I like this. Now, nothing against Wichita State, the, the Shockers. I find them lovely. I, I, you know, just I butter up to those wonderful American pie underdog stories in the NCAA tournament when I check the scores maybe haphazardly and then go back to not thinking about basketball. But, heck, you know, great for them. Is allegedly Wichita State would try and kind of usher on into, this feels very CUSA, get, yeah. the, get their football business together and join the AAC. I don't know how I feel about this, Bill. I don't know if I, uh, is the AAC making a basketball-centric move a good idea? Well, I, you know, in certain ways, a basketball-only deal could be, I, I still say, and this is a great-slash-terrible idea, like back in like 2010, after the first round of expansion of Palooza, um, when Missouri was still in the Big 12 and we were trying to rationalize why that was okay uh, mm-hmm. because we had no choice. Um, I, you know, a friend of mine brought an, the idea up and I explored it. Like, what if the Big 12, with, 12, with at that point 10 teams, I guess, had brought on like two or four basketball-only schools for obviously a certain, only a certain percentage of the revenue and everything? But how much does it help your conference if you were to bring in, like at that point, I, I think the names we were talking about was like... Um, Wichita State, Butler, Creighton, and like Dayton or somebody like that. So for you know, in in that if, if it's a high caliber enough, then I mean it kind of makes sense. Bringing in football makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, that's uh, you know I, I I don't know maybe that's the way you justify doing it without taking on two or four teams because I do think you need to you kind of in in a way you have to load up if you're doing it with basketball. One one program is not going to have the impact, 
But, I mean, it's an interesting thought. My, my biggest concern with the AAC, for the AAC in this scenario is that Greg Marshall leaves for Indiana. Like, they, they sign on. Uh, they move to AAC. Greg Marshall leaves for Indiana, and they don't hire a replacement who's as good. And suddenly you basically just brought on a top 100 or top 125 basketball program for the Wichita market. That doesn't really sound like a very favorable plan. Uh, and this doesn't make they, this wouldn't make the AAC a, a quote unquote power conference for basketball. So there, no, no, no. I mean, you have Cincinnati and UConn still, which are you know both two nationally successful programs, especially UConn. But you still you're not a power conference. Nobody's treating you like a power conference, so you don't get like a boost in that regard from Wichita State. Um, I don't mind the concept, but I don't think I don't think this works. I don't I don't think this checks out, so to speak. No, I, I definitely find it to be a little strange. It doesn't establish a new market. It doesn't bring you into, you know, if not a new market. It does. It's just it's Wichita. Well, yeah, that's true. No offense. Uh, it doesn't establish you a strong DMA in terms of market. Right. It doesn't open up a new recruiting ground unless you're looking at, you know, Kansas Jucos. Right. Um, I don't understand entirely. Now, keep in mind, I'm, I will admit – freely my blind spots when it comes to the politics and the and the, the dealings of college basketball it's a very different beast sometimes but I mean not to be braggadocious or lazy but if you cover college football when you talk about realignment you don't really have to worry about basketball because it's not the driver um I get that they are trying to cobble something together in terms of an identity in basketball well they kind of already have that right they have Memphis who has struggled of late, but is a brand to some degree. They have Cincinnati, an established brand. Um, Houston used to be a brand, right? Um, and then they have Connecticut, UConn, which is yeah. a brand. So I guess they're maybe trying to move in that direction. Now, hypothetically, you can't suddenly become a basketball conference that makes more money off of basketball than you would football, right? Like the Big East, all the little Big East schools, the original right. Big East schools, like the DePauls and um, Providence and all that, they went back to the old original Big East for a reason, and that's because they're basketball-centric schools. So it's not like they're going to suddenly abandon football. Right. Like, that's the, – the best time to be thinking about this would have been about four years ago um, before the Big East formed its own conference again uh, now, for basketball. Like, that, 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 at that point, you could add, like, four programs, have, like, a 16 – a pretty awesome 16-team basketball league, but that moment's gone. So I asked a, an athletic director at, um, at an AAC school over the weekend about this, and but he basically said, well, it's not really surprising. It doesn't make sense in football terms, but I don't think anyone's expecting it to. But he, he also just said, hey, this sort of just reiterates the obvious, which is whatever lip service comes from the AAC about, oh, you know, we're establishing traditions and we're establishing rivals and, you know, we're building – it really is incentive for schools that have a puncher's chance of getting to the power five to continue to do that. Now business seems to be closed for the moment uh, at the big 12 with schools like Cincinnati and Houston at the moment, at the moment, but with what we assume to be the pending amalgamation into a power four in the next decade, this is just a, just an added extra sort of reminder that you, if you're trying to be a power, if you are, Houston, or if you are Cincinnati, to me, those two schools stand above the rest. South, South and Central Florida are kind of right behind them. Um, you got to get the hell out of town as soon as you can. I mean, the other more obvious uh, difference is that you make like two-ish million dollars on TV a year in the AAC, and then you go to the bad, quote-unquote, bad Big 12 that doesn't make a lot of money, and you make about 26 million. So 
um, that would be the obvious the obvious reason to leave. So it doesn't really change anything. It was a little strange. It came up at a strange time as well, um, you know, in conjunction with the basketball tournament. Um, here's the other problem, Bill. That's pretty much it on news items. We are, uh, we've hit a valley because we don't, I was talking to another reporter from another alley yesterday and mentioning the fact that we don't have a giant, uh, we don't have a giant bad thing like a Baylor and we don't have a giant good thing or interesting thing like a realignment shift or an LHN. Things are eerily quiet. We could talk about, we could talk about the shenanigans of one Jim Harbaugh. I don't really feel like that's on brand. Okay. Um, Tom Herman said some interesting things about Brandon Harris. That might be something. But as I scroll through, one other problem. And by the way, we are aware of the fact that Mike Gundy is out hunting rattlesnakes. <laughs> um, I asked Jason if we needed to start prepping a Oklahoma State football coach dies from a rattlesnake bite. Uh, he can't story. die because I've – so I, um, I always have to use like the play the pronoun game on this show sometimes if I'm working on something in progress. I will just flat out tell our listeners because they now ping me and they're like, why don't you go to this school? Why don't you go to this school? Or come to my school. And there's always a reason or, hey, maybe this coach isn't amenable or I tried, whatever. I have open, I am openly lobbying Oklahoma State to let me get, like, act, like, like do what we call just an access profile on Mike Gundy. He's become one of the most fascinating people in college football, really from the ashes of being one of the most forgettable head coaches seven, eight years ago. And when forgettable, I just mean, you know, uptight, standoffish, you know, not necessarily at a premier program to whatever it is that has snapped or broken inside of him in that positive way where he's just sort of let loose and undone the, the, the metaphorical belt. Thank God for that. I could, yeah, if it's I could like, it's that like upon 10 more coaches. Got, it's like he's a professor who got tenure. He's like, okay, well, I'm here now. I'm, I'm Now I get to be me. And tenure at Oklahoma State does involve like a wearing a singlet and growing a mullet. Oh, Bill. So we're, we're very light on news. We have one more bit of housekeeping. Um, so we've asked you guys for Twitter questions. We've asked for email questions. But then we also went on this big sort of like stump speech thing about creating a community in the comment section. And then we totally forgot about that last week. So uh, we're, we'll get better at that. Um, probably not. Um, but... I think we also have a couple revisions coming as far as like our logo and music. That's what the bosses at SB Nation have told me. So um, we'll get all that rounded up. In the meantime, we do encourage you guys to sort of populate that comment section when we put it up on SB Nation. We're going to start drawing questions out of there almost exclusively, I would say, um, because we're getting them from so many different places. That's probably the only wise thing that we can do. So I do have, oh my God, sorry. I have an autoplay ad going in my ear. I've muted it four times and it restarts every single time I scroll. And you can't um, mute because you're podcasting. I know. Correct. I'm really kind of, and I have no idea where the ad is. I can't find it now. And it's just playing. The struggle's real. Anyway, uh, footballscoop.com. Asked about his new ball control offense, Nick Saban goes on three-minute rant. Um, I, th- this, I wanted to bring this up because it ties back to Speed Smash. Uh, and, and, and our complete inability to label things. Yes. The, here's the question. Apparently, I don't know who did it. I hope it's nobody that I know because I'll feel bad because I'm about to rail on them. Um, verbatim, the question that Nick Saban was asked, I guess, yesterday at his first uh, spring football little press conference deal with the Coke on the podium. Uh, given how the national championship game transpired with time of possession deficit, how much was returning to that ball control mentality emphasis in hiring Brian Dab- Dabble? D- 
Dable. 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 Okay. As offensive coordinator. How in 2017? Oh, can, Bill's, Bill's clapping. I. Like I mean, he it was Saban's answer is great because he started off answering it real uh, like honestly and and yeah. rel- semi coach speaky, and then he just got kind of riled up. Mm-hmm. Like wait, wait, this is dumb. Why am I? Um, so he starts off with um, of the very obvious part of this is that we didn't block, we didn't execute well, we didn't throw the ball accurately, and we had open people, and a couple times we dropped it. How? How can you watch the national title game and think, oh, Alabama's problem here is that they're not running a ball control offense? Don't gr- you got to grind it out, coach? They tried. It stopped working. <laughs> they it, they couldn't run after what about about midway through the second quarter? They tried the short passing and it didn't work. They had to get shots downfield. They completed one. They they missed on about two or three more. That's why they lost. They they were trying to run a ball control offense, so to speak, and it didn't control the ball because it didn't execute well. And I. How can well, and then he okay? Bill, I'm just gonna read his answer. No, Bill, I really, Bill I wanted to bring this pissed. up. I, I wanted to bring this up because it was I was fired up about it, but I don't even know what to say because it feels like to me the answer is so obvious. But Saban already said everything. Here's what he said. Okay, okay, there was nothing. Okay, we didn't block them. We didn't execute very well. We didn't throw the ball accurately, and we had open people. And a couple times we dropped it. I think it was more lack of execution than something schematically that we were doing as coaches. That's not to blame anybody but us for not having players for more, be uh, more well prepared. Defense also needs to get themselves off the field on third down so they don't have to play as many plays. So it's a combination of things. And then I feel like there's a paragraph break here, and I feel this is where he stopped for a second and reflected and realized what. So up to this point, right. So up to this point, he's basically done the convoluted political way of just saying, hey, y'all peckerheads don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to entertain you anyway. Then he gets mad. I do think we could have executed a lot better, and I think most players would probably tell you that on both sides of the ball, not to take anything away from Clemson, but it is what it is. Still doing okay so far. As we always do, we're going to self-assess what we did through quality control with he and his 38 quality control assistants. Uh, What we did well, what we need to improve on, visit people to try to get better at the things we need to do better. Philosophically. Then, when he used the word... I don't know where you came up with where we need to go to ball control. That's not what we do. I mean, the New England Patriots threw the ball over 60% of the time, which is way more than we threw it. Uh, So where does that assumption come from? Or do you do what everybody else in the media does, just create some shit, throw it on the wall, see what sticks, which is uh, what I see happening everywhere. People who scream the loudest, they get the attention. And then he goes on and on about, like, he, then, he, then he's fired up. And then he goes on about, like, rules changes and stuff that don't apply at all to the question. And it's great, and you should read it. Um, but I, I have an how, answer. I have an answer if you want. If, or if you, I mean, if you want to take this from an analytical standpoint and, and, and reinforce what he's saying, because he is right, we can do that. But I can also tell you why he's dealing with this problem. You ready? Go for it. It's his fault. Okay. I, me, the corporeal body, okay, sat in Hoover, Alabama, SEC Media Days four years ago. You know what I heard? I heard Nick Saban saying convoluted stuff like, is this what we want football to become? Right. I heard veiled jab after veiled jab after not so veiled jab. No, I was going to say, they weren't all after, veiled. After overt uh, condemnation, indictment. Of any kind, any 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 offense that had a modicum of tempo in it, hurry up, no huddle, up tempo, whatever the hell we were calling Malzahn's offense at the time. Okay, we heard it from Bert, and we heard it from Nick. All right, flash forward four-ish years, and what's happened through that cycling, Bill? 
what's happened is that Nick Saban hires Lane Kiffin. They start putting in different structures, right? It's not like they become leechian overnight, but we've been <laughs> saying this. This has been a conversation topic amongst educated folks, amongst media, amongst smart fans, and then it's been funny to hear this like get lost in translation to the I don't want to say just the t-shirt and hat crowd because I'm not trying to be classist here, but there are folks who watched the last four years of Alabama football and did not realize that they were not running like the old Maryland eye, okay? Is that fair to say? Uh, Sure. Saban himself, more so than any other coach in college football, could have cleared up the misconception of what is spread and what is ball control instead of the 200 other coaches that I talked to who have to work against the precedent set by the most notable and most successful head coach by indicting the spread outright in any form of going tempo, of going hurry up, of having four wide, of changing your personnel group to have, you know, anywhere from four to six receiving options on a single play to not necessarily huddle after every play. All of that stuff that he casually and then outright painted as being harmful to football and not the way that football should be played, it's now coming back to bite him in the ass because when he had to adapt, inevitably, like we all do, like Clemson did, like other major programs did, like hell, even Florida State to some degree, right? Sure. You can't show me, even USC runs concepts similar to this. The true big boy pro styles are, they're, they're big, fat streaks of spread philosophy from 10 years ago, back when it was cordoned off as a leper colony. All of that has mushed and melded together, okay? I remember I was interviewing Joe Moorhead about this, and this was right about the time that Penn State was like, it, like proof of concept was working. And he's like, I don't know what you call this. Like, you can call it spread, but there's, if I call it spread, and, it, and I'm, these are my words, so I don't want this to be quoted outright, but he said, if I call it spread, well, then Penn State has this reputation and sort of, uh, adherence to well, we're running back school, we're a tight end school, right? Well, you can have running backs and tight ends executing at the at the at their highest levels in a quote unquote spread offense. The word is nothing; it doesn't mean anything anymore. And so, for Saban to suddenly get huffy about some reporter asking about ball control offense, Bill, are there not forms of ball control in a spread? <laughs> I mean, there's a form of ball control in any good offense. It's but, called. Moving the ball and controlling the football. But you know what? This misconception is his own fault. He waged a media war, and then when he... Look, man, I'll give him credit. He just hired Dan Werner. You were talking about something that was in the news. Dan Werner was the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. He didn't get enough attention. He didn't get enough um, credit, in my opinion, because Hugh Freeze tends to absorb those type of things. He beat Alabama twice. He sure didn't... He didn't beat Alabama twice using the damn veer. Okay? He beat Alabama twice using what we could best describe as a, I would say a spread option more in the vein of the first time, especially when Bo Wallace was a quarterback, it was, it was something that off the, off the urban Meyer kind of Florida era tree. All right. And they changed a couple of the personnel. They, 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 they modified things to fit Chad Kelly. They passed a little bit more cause he had a better arm, but new switched to a more give no craps kind of uh, approach that I, they that took I, the governor I, off the golf course. Hold dear. They took the governor off the golf cart and the safety off the shotgun, okay? (laughs) And they just went through the neighborhood having fun. That was the point. All right? When they lost, Saban is a smart enough individual, possibly the smartest individual in coaching in college, to say, hey, how did that guy beat me? 
And then when he's had an, an opportunity to not only ask Dan Werner, but to hire him to look at, let me tell you what Dan Werner's going to do. It's no mystery. I know that they don't ever talk about these things. There's no official comment from the university. And you mentioned, what'd you joke, like 30 some odd analysts or whatever. Yeah. He does. He has like a litany of people. It's insane. I guarantee you Dan Werner is going to work there just taking apart things that he sees as an offensive coordinator based on the offenses that are around the league. Mm-hmm. In other words, he they hired a spread guy to to rat out the spread, to look at tendencies in the way he would – for instance, when they uh, – great example, Bill. They're going to play Ole Miss, yeah, but they're also – Phil Longo is going to do something different than Werner did. When they play Tennessee, they're going to make Werner almost sort of – be the practice squad Butch Jones and the philosophy that they would have on offense. My point in all this, as I ramble, is that Nick Saban respects these offenses enough to hire people to sit there and diagnose, break them down, find their weaknesses, learn from them, and then in the case of having Kiffin incorporate a lot of their concepts into their offense, right? So you're getting bitten in the ass because you publicly tried to demean these people. And you tried to turn it into a health issue when it never was, when there was never an iota of proof. You just didn't like it, and it whipped your ass a couple times. So I guess uh, two things. First, I should specify I don't really mind that somebody offended Nick Saban with a because I love, I love pissy Nick Saban, first of all. So I'm glad it happened to him if it was going to happen. But I was more appalled by the question itself of how can you watch the game of football and cover the game of football and think that Alabama's problem was they weren't running enough of a ball control offense. Number two, I, I just pulled it up while you were talking. Um, this is one of the favorite quotes I've ever gotten from a coach. And I've, I've, I've been, you know, I've said enough nice things about Manny Diaz through the years that I almost feel weird about bringing him up. But regardless, this is a Manny Diaz quote that I absolutely love. Uh, he's talking about this. This was for the game planning piece that I came up with a couple of years ago, like your work week. What, what, what do coaches do on Sunday during the season, Monday, Tuesday, et cetera. He says, uh, most teams all meld into one. There is such a thing as a, quote, college football offense. 90% of America runs 60% of the same plays. So we're going to say, what do they do that's unique or by player formation? If you've got a kid who's been sick all week and he shows up Thursday and asks, what does this team do differently? I'll be able to tell him. Yeah. Um, I love that. And the, basically, whatever Saban is going to be running at any given time, because he has the most talent. It's like Bayern in the Bundesliga. Like, they can survey what everybody else is doing, and when they figure out something that truly damages them or truly forces them to change something, they absorb it, and it, and it basically becomes the standard college football offense. There is no spread offense anymore. It is a college football offense. Um, 90% of America runs 60% of the spread, and then you vary from there. And, and you so, say college football offense, Bill. New England Patriots pass more than they run. Right. They have passed to set up the run for years now. And so that, that's that. I, I, I'm really like the ball control thing is blah, but I'm really curious what happens with Jalen Hurts because, well, no, I'm, I'm not, not what happens with Jalen Hurts, but what happens with that relationship um, because you just hired an offensive coordinator or a guy who worked for an offense. He wasn't the Patriots coordinator, but uh, he worked for the, a, a team, a very successful team. Um, I, I don't remember how successful they were last year. I won't worry about that. But um, a, a very successful team with a statue as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Hurts can throw pretty well, uh, but he, he, he has legs. And I'm really curious how all of these different influences and everything get melded together. I'm really Does curious he know how to use them, as ZZ Top might ask? <laughs> I, I think he proved toward the end of the Clemson game, at least, that he does, yes. Is, uh, I have no sympathy for Nick. Nick does not really ask for sympathy in this situation. Um, 
it's funny to see how every time he has a rant, I mean, I think AL.com even has like a font on their video editor for, <laughs> editor for like when he has a rant. Um, you know, he does nine times out of ten when he goes off, it's a it's a message back to either his coaches or his players or both, right? Pretty obvious. He's only going to utilize the media for his ends. He's yeah. really good at that. I think in this case, it, it's an exasperation because I think Nick's a smart enough guy to know that he painted himself into a corner here and that he reinforced the, the old stereotype of the big, dumb, running the ball, you know, just handed off crap. And now that he's lost a national title uh, in the in – the, and I don't mean lost out on a national title. I mean he lost a national championship game in a very public manner – with a quarterback who was more mobile than most Alabama quarterbacks in history, at least the ones that won national championships, he's falling prey to the orthodoxy that he helped he helped uh, foster at Alabama. So yeah. this is the rare time where I think you're seeing a Nick Saban rant that is is like a genuine frustration and not just like a little device or a ploy. If he wants to change the philosophy of what Alabama fans view to be a successful offense, he could do it in a heartbeat. He chose not to, and now this one got him. And uh, it's it's even more fun, by the way, uh, that this is happening in Alabama, a school that won a national title with Jeff Rutledge winning uh, running the wishbone. Um, maybe that's another reason why I'm really curious about uh, about Jalen Hurts running whatever it is, whatever version of the New England Patriots offense we're supposedly going to see. Um, Alabama is so weird on the offensive side of the ball through the years, and it makes me happy. The end. By the way, by the way, yes. another point. Since you know we're, we're we have no we have no agenda from this point forward. Um, you're talking about uh, what Werner might bring to the table. Uh, it always it, I always start to think like if I had a bunch of analysts who are former offensive and defensive coordinators, what would I have them doing? And it almost I it almost I always end up almost thinking of it like. Um, switching their side of the ball like having Werner focus on on defense or like you know basically like what you know just flipping the roles and and changing the, the 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 you know the angle of the prism or whatever but that reminded me of today's preview which was Miami Ohio Chuck Martin who I this is a hell of a segue mm-hmm. I, I would I didn't want to jinx it but go ahead segue segue um Chuck Martin uh, what his role through the years? He was Brian Kelly's defensive coordinator um, at Grand Valley State back in uh, the early two thousands. Uh, Brian Kelly, one of the most interesting facets of. I realize he's not the most likable coach in the world, but the guy who runs Notre Dame was the head coach at Grand Valley State for thirteen years. That always. He's had a really interesting career uh, that it'll be kind of uh, that at some point to, to look back on. He's had some interesting stops. But regardless, uh, Chuck Martin was his defensive coordinator. Martin goes to um, Notre Dame. I don't think we made nearly enough about this because it's so weird and risky and all of this. He was defensive backs coach. He was safeties coach. In 2012, he switches to offensive coordinator, and Notre Dame goes 12-1 and and makes the BCS title game. That was one of those strangest little just – tweaks uh that that you can possibly think of and I, I honestly i think that's something that coaches should do more uh because it does that changing that prism is is a very powerful thing and um i don't say that only because the guy who invented the wishbone was a linebackers coach who got thrown the offensive coordinator role one day after practice which makes more sense than it should 
Yeah. No, that's it makes how, perfect it, sense when you think about it. That linebacking guy would be like, hey, make the ball go forward. And that's what he came up with. <laughs> what do I hate? Let's do that. Um, okay, well, you went with the more, like, practical explanation there, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But regardless, like, it, it, it is something that maybe we should look at more uh, frequently than we actually do because it still seems really weird when it happens. Yes. When it really should probably happen more. Anyway. Yes. Okay. All right, Bill. Where are we in the in the um, well, sort of in the swampy part of like the outside part of Mordor? This is the best of a Tolkien reference as I can give you. But we are on the long march to drop the ring into the fires of the 2017 National Preview. I don't know who that makes sore on. I'll work on it. I'll workshop it. Yeah, um, sure. Keep 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 uh, brainstorming on that one. Are are we out of the ass into the Cusa? Cusa's got a big ass. Well, I was just talking about Miami, Ohio, so yes, we are out of the CUSA uh, no, entirely. Not, not where you are, I'm sorry. It, it, uh, on the show last week, we had talked about specifically the ass end of the CUSA, then the okay. top end of the CUSA. Now, take me to take me to the Mac. Paint okay. me a picture, Bill. And I, this is, I challenged you this, and I do remember this from last year. From We were at this point last year. Okay. Designate the Mac in a way that someone who flips by on a Tuesday doesn't get the schools confused. So what I need you to do, and this is a challenge, is show the Mac in a way. So, for instance, we were talking about the CUSA last week and, like, bad schools, whatever, but there's distinct personalities inside the CUSA, right? Not just right. the new coaches, but I mean, like, the offenses that give us some Mac flavor that makes individual Mac schools stand out. Because that seems to be a knock amongst the casual fan. Like, they run up against a wall. Maybe this is the Southern thing where they just say, ah, oh, every Mac school is the same to me. They're not. But sometimes they but. <laughs> sometimes they kind of are. Yeah, so one of the ways that I, I, I've, I've, I've tried to kind of um, enhance the end-of-conference power rankings that I do each, each time. So I, I do a preview for each team in a conference, and then at the end of it I post my opinion of the power rankings, and we've kind of fleshed those out a little bit. I, you'll have you know, my view of the best offensive players from each team, best defensive players. Mm-hmm. And I have some charts that basically lay out, in a way, kind of the personality of the conference. Or at least, I mean, that's kind of a secondary goal. Uh, just charts for offense and defense. You know, the, the x-axis is explosiveness for each team. The y-axis is, is efficiency. And what you had for a conference like CUSA was um, you saw kind of a general, on defense at least, kind of a general bend-don't-break tendency within the conference with like three or four interesting outliers that I was able to focus on. One of those outliers was just Rice for being terrible at defense, but then there was like a couple of all or nothings. Like Southern Miss was hilariously all or nothing on defense, uh, completely different than everybody else. But it's a good way to kind of uh, figure out the outliers. In, in, in the MAC, there just weren't that many outliers last year. Like on offense, you had a few. You had um, let's see, who is this? You you had Ball State, which was very, very conservative, like high efficiency, third best efficiency in the conference, by far the fewest uh, big plays. And then you had a team uh, like Akron, which lost a couple different quarterbacks, had no efficiency whatsoever, but had a lot of big play capability. But really, for the most part, you just kind of had a mash in the middle of teams that were good or bad, but kind of equally proportional off, you know, efficiency and explosiveness. There was not a lot of personality there out of those two outliers. And on defense, it was the same kind of thing. Like uh, Toledo was the all or nothing here. They gave up a lot more, more big plays than anybody else or bigger big plays than anybody else, but they had very good efficiency numbers. 
And then on the other end, you had Central or you had uh, Eastern Michigan, excuse me, giving up all sorts of efficiency but preventing big plays. And then you just kind of had a mash in the middle. There aren't that many outliers. And, you know, when we're talking about individual programs in general. So if like I'm going to stand honest, in the backyard and watch somebody do something crazy while I'm drinking a beer. Yeah. Naturally. And, and I have my friend, casual football fan, over, and I'm like, hey, look at X. They're about to fall off the roof, or they're about to soar. Who am I looking at? Akron is probably... Falling off the roof? Yeah, One or the other. They are the evil Knievel. They are the team that has the, the, the biggest range of upside and downside this year. So they're a team I to like watch because they should be... They, the, either way, they'll be on fire. It's just a question of why. Um but, uh, man, otherwise, you know, it really is. It's hard to differentiate MAC teams. First year I went through these preview series when I was kind of just starting from scratch talking about each, each team and, and trying to get a general flavor. The MAC was a freaking slog. I remember that being the hardest conference because I just couldn't come up through. The, I mean, this is my seventh year doing this, so I've been able to kind of compile certain uh, personality traits for each, but it is still the hardest one to differentiate one team from another. You've got the teams that – Habitually struggle. So Akron, Kent State, Eastern Michigan on average before last year. Yeah. You have the teams that have clearly showed a lot of upside. But in the MAC, if you show a lot of upside, that means you lose your coach a lot and you have to start over and then you show upside again. So like Boston or Bowling Green. Northern uh, Illinois. Northern Illinois. Central Michigan probably falls into there. Miami, Ohio has hit a little bit of a downturn or did and might be on their way out of it. But they, for a long time, of course, you know, cradle of coaches, they – they prided themselves on hiring a great coach, losing him to a big school, and then hiring another great coach. Um, you've got your your volatile teams. Western Michigan for a long time was either good or terrible, but never the best. Toledo has been, on average, by far the best team in the conference over the last five, ten years. Hasn't won a MAC title in that time because somebody's always been better, or they've lost the one game they can't lose. Um, Ohio is an interesting one because they were one of those destitute programs before Frank Solich showed well, up. Ohio, so Ohio does defy the stereotype, but that doesn't necessarily make them fun or watchable. And it's no. just that they have a coach who is going to con- who, who you can reliably say will be there. Yeah, they Which, they are sound. They're yeah. sound, and they're going to give hell to to better teams that will probably eventually beat them. Basically, is Ohio's rep at this point. I just pulled this up, by the way. Um, you tell me whether they're going to fall off the roof or whether they're going to set off fireworks out of their butt, and then we're all going to high-five, okay? That's, by okay. the way, that's that's the high moment, is that a MAC team is a drunk frat guy that you know in, like, the college subdivision who just drunkenly crawls up and is like, hey, check this out, and it kind of works, and then he becomes famous on Facebook for a couple of days. Sure. This is not a bad metaphor. Uh, non-conference is at Penn State, Arkansas Pine Bluff at home, um, Iowa State at home. Interesting. And at Troy, see that I think they're falling off the roof. Probably breaking an ankle, a couple of different places. Who was that? Was that Akron? That was Akron. Yeah. Um, Troy, good. Penn State, gonna kill you. Well, and maybe upset Ohio. Maybe Iowa State. Maybe upset Iowa State. Well, for the most part, though, you you don't get many Western Michigan twelve and zero runs in the MAC. You're basically looking at conference play, um, and they have a good chance to. You know, Iowa State at home is certainly. I think Iowa State's going to be pretty damn good this year, but they'll have a chance. Uh, they're not. They're not going to have a chance against Penn State or Troy, most likely. Right. But the um, but the problem with what you just or not the problem with what you said, but when you apply that, you're talking about you make your identity on the run through conference play. Is it's a mash. It's very hard to prognosticate the MAC, and I think this is one of the things they lose out on is the ability for us to identify 
known quantities in the off season and build them up and talk about them. So real fast, if anybody listening, unless you went to a Mac school or you, I don't know if you're a fan of one of these schools, this, what does this mean to you? Like I cover college football for a living, and if you run down someone's conference list, we can or conference schedule, I can start saying, okay, well we feel like it's this. You're gonna have this. You gotta watch out for this, right? At Bowling Green, home for Ball State, at Western Michigan, at Toledo, home for Buffalo, bye week at Miami, Ohio. Kent State to close out the season and then the MAC championship. They close with three straight Tuesday games. What can we glean from that? That's just the, this is the problem when you talk about the MAC. Well, I think this is you know probably a secondary motivation for the MAC doing, uh, or maybe just a, a kind of a, a happy offshoot of, of moving the entire November freaking schedule to weekdays. Um, because of that, you know, it's we we talked about how much of a mess that is for fans and whatnot. But because they're doing that whoever their conference contender is, is going to have a shot at being like the big game of the week because all of them are on during the week. So you can sort Was it two weeks ago, Bill, that we talked about this? And so we needed to... So. Last week or the week before. Yeah, that. and they needed to refine their scheduling to better to better promote teams that were that had a, a likelier shot of being, you know, the the G five darling. I think you were dead on, and I didn't realize this at the time. It's the shotgun approach. Yeah. So you could have an Akron team that, in a worst-case scenario, starts the year 1-3, and three, loses every game except Arkansas Pine Bluff. Then they play, uh, and again, without knowing, let's just say right off the top, they lose their road games, Bowling Green, Western Michigan, and Toledo, okay? okay. They have two to three That's wins going brutal. into it. That's about as hard as you can get. In okay, so, it's so, so again, our likelihood is higher. And, again, I, this is – you're helping me make my point. So they have, like, two wins, basically, going into their bye week in November. Then they close the season on national television three weeks in a row on three consecutive Tuesday nights. Yeah. Why am I watching that? Why is anyone who even bothers to listen to this podcast watching that? You're not, but they can focus then their coverage on the teams that are competing for the At Miami, Ohio, and Kent State. I'm not seeing the little bit of differentiation we have in the schools that we think are good. Like we talked about. Bowling Green, Western Michigan, Toledo. Those aren't those schools, hey! Bill. Wow. A little late this week. Yep. When you, there's a high likelihood that, that Akron, Miami, Akron, Ohio, or Akron, Kent State, two of those three games could feature two teams under 500. Yeah. Why Especially are they doing this? Television revenue, tele, ex, quote unquote exposure, which I don't think we completely uh, decided what that means entirely last week. But I mean, they're doing it. They are. They've gone all in on TV, and we'll we'll see. We'll see if it if it pays off for them at all. But there, that's what they're doing. And if you are competing for a conference title, now you're in a great spot because all your games are on national television. Uh, I want the, I want the flip side scenario of this too is when like let's say that they are seven and two. Don't ask me how. I don't. I don't know. I think that should be evident. That's by an now. impressive team right there if they're seven and two. Okay. How many is that? Even nine games I'm looking at. Yeah. And then they have the so then you build up the momentum and every game that you have is on a Tuesday night. This is why no one cares. You can't tell me as a student at one of these schools that it's fun to do this. No. No, I mean that's. I mean we talked about this before. Like that's. I, I hope they get out of it what they want to get out of it from a television revenue perspective, because you know. Oh, and and there's also the if if we were really vigilant about attendance averages being part of the FBS equation, um, 
or like the FBS being like maintaining your membership as an FBS team. If we were really serious about that, this does not help that at all. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I used to cover that as an actual like warning sign for schools. I think I've said this before. I went to the Wyoming hosted Ole Miss. I was still in school there and I went for the campus paper. I went to Laramie. It was the first time I went to Laramie. And one of the big reasons that they were signing these crazy deals where they weren't necessarily making a ton of money was that they were using schools like Ole Miss and Nebraska and Texas to come visit to prop up that minimum attendance figure. I think that... It hasn't come up in the media in a long time, and anytime it's ever been brought up in casual conversation, like when I'm around people in the industry, I think that you could just fudge ticket season ticket numbers to a point now where yeah. if that doesn't work, you can... In fact, there was an article, I want to say maybe in the Cleveland or Chicago newspaper a couple of years ago about the Mac and this, but there's corporate sponsorship packages where they buy allotments of tickets. So that number can be achieved through so many artificial ways now that I don't even think they bother with it. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely don't think they bother with it. I'm, I'm looking at like it. I'm saying, like, I don't think the NCAA has like, got, like, an attendance cop out being like, you're going to get knocked down to FCS for this. No, I mean, they can't. Like, you know, it's supposed to be 15,000. I'm looking at what the, the, F, uh, the NCAA has on its website for 2015 is the most recent year. Ball State was at 7,900. Um Eastern Michigan was at 4,800. Georgia State, 10,000. Idaho, 11,000. Kent State, 12,000. UMass, 11,000. Miami, Ohio, right at 15. Miami, Ohio is one of the storied programs. NIU, NIU, winning a crap ton of football games uh, as of 2015. Uh, Average attendance, 13,9. So it's not something they mess with even in the slightest. And I'm not saying they should. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't care who's in FBS. I, you know, more the merrier for me. I don't want to have to start the season previews in during bowl season, but regardless. The I was more about the to say, you me. say that, you better watch out unless you're going to start doing two-a-days. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, this doesn't help attendance even in the slightest. And I'm really curious how this little experiment works for them this year, if they get out of it what they think they're going to, or if this is a one-time only thing, and then they kind of skew hard back towards Saturdays uh, next year. Who's number one in the Mac in the previous? By far Toledo. Okay. Um, like they are the from a projection standpoint, they are by far the the safest bet. Of course, I'm pretty sure projections have them the safest bet every single year. And like I said, they always figure out how to finish second in the in the Mac West. Okay. Well, since this has been sort of a depressing stop on the season preview train, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way because I sure as hell don't want to revisit it next week. Um, Toledo. Uh, as your presumptive favorite in this conference, uh, hosting Elon at Nevada, home for Tulsa at Miami. Uh, you know, got your paycheck in there, got yep. your um, logical, sensible, probably I think a one and one there with Tulsa, which is funny because so many people I know, myself included, sometimes conflate Tulsa and Toledo, as in like what state they're in <laughs> and what conference they're in. Um, and then Eli. As in Oklahoma, and I've never had that problem. Well, that's because you're from that weird blah part of the country. Anyway, um, uh, obviously a manageable FCS game, Elon. Uh, very winnable game, even though it's at Nevada. First year head coach there. So uh, um, Eastern Michigan at Central Michigan. That's right. You're going to suffer along as I do this. You shut up and listen. Eastern Michigan at Central Michigan. Akron, our, our, our friends at the bottom, at Ball State. Northern Illinois at Ohio at Bowling Green, home for Western Michigan. And if you're keeping track, they close the year with one, two, holy crap, Bill. 
Man, I thought Akron was bad. Okay, so they play. Um, they they have a bye. This is everybody. So check this out. So they have a bye after their uh, essentially after their conference play. Okay, or non-conference play, September thirtieth. They play Eastern Michigan Saturday, Central Michigan Saturday, Akron Saturday. Then they play a Thursday, a Thursday, a Wednesday, a Wednesday, and a Friday. Yeah. Jesus. And that's one of the schools where you can actually get attendance, I think. And um, so they they're banking on. They're banking on schools like Toledo. And then, and then you see the usual suspects show up in their games. So Bowling Green, Northern Illinois, Western Michigan. It'll be very interesting how this pans out. I see the end of this as me writing a really weird feature standing in like the rain on a Tuesday in November and somewhere in like nowhere, Ohio. I see how this ends. Well, as long as you accept your fate now. What conference are we going to next? Uh, that would be Mountain West, but let's not get <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves here because I will be doing the Mac for the next week and a half. Uh, no, not in Toledo. this world. Toledo, yeah, Toledo pops up next Thursday. Uh-uh. So uh, no, no, nope. We cannot We're... move on to the Mountain West just. No, I am not in that damn frame of mind. This is like uh, no, we're going to that planet on Interstellar where time moves faster. Okay, I don't want to do this next week. We're not going to. So you're just going to tease the mountain. Are you going to tease the the glory that is the Mountain West, and then you expect us to slog through the Mac for a whole another week? Hey, I have to slog through the damn Mac. Therefore, that's your job. Yes. And if we talk about the Mountain West now, what the hell are we going to talk about when we get to? The oh, Mountain hey! West? I think everybody involved in this operation will stretch on the mountain, the, the mountain freaking West. Uh, time not sucks. swearing right now. Mountain West sucks at the moment. Yeah, it does. It's very bad. Um, very, very bad. So here's a question. Where uh, do independents fall this year for you? It's, is it after Mountain West or after AAC? How are you doing that this year? Yeah, I always split the the, the Power 5 uh, and the G5 with the independents. So okay. Okay. it'll be Mountain West, then AAC, then, then independents. Independence. Uh, and then okay. we'll go from Notre Dame to Kansas as the start of our... Right, um, we talked about that. Yeah. Question from the comment thread last week that we didn't participate in very much. Sorry. Um... Wisconsin, sneakily overrated. You guys have been making Wisconsin sound rather fashionably underrated. Uh, this is a, hold on a second. Who is this? Mm-hmm. This is our friend. I already the FTP, yeah. who is a, what fan are you of, Henry? Oh, you don't me. like the, the structure and the conceit of this idea. Wisconsin can be neither over or underrated. They are only Wisconsin. They are a quantity unto themselves. They're like off on the side of the periodic table. Okay, I'm not figuring out who this guy is a fan of immediately. All right. I think they're sneakily overrated. They look terrible throwing the ball. Some triple option teams look better. Uh, And I persist in thinking they'd be pretty vulnerable to a team with a good passing attack. Sure, they deserve all sorts of props for being able to stand up in the trenches to Big Ten bullies like Ohio State and Michigan. But unlike the bullies, they're not really a serious part of the conversation outside of the Big Ten. Or if we're being brutally honest, the Big Ten West, they beat LSU last year. Curious as to whether they have an actual recruiting edge over Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska, or whether they've just been consistently better coached. You may not like Barry Mm -hmm. Alvarez, but you have to respect his institutionalized institutionalization of fairly consistent success. Uh, to be sure, things could be a lot worse, but equally I think it's fair to ask whether things could be better, i.e. that Wisconsin could be a serious national contender every three or four years or so instead of being happy with a Rose Bowl berth on that timetable as a non-playoff team. Okay. Very confused um, by this, Bill. Yeah. Are we he, – he sort of rides for him at the end there. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so first off, Wisconsin can be neither overrated or underrated. They are merely Wisconsin. So I don't was, know. I think we've we've cons- we've discussed them as if they are very underrated. If you sleep time. on a Wisconsin team, they're going to finish ten and two. If you overrate a Wisconsin team, they're going to finish nine and three. Thus is the way of Wisconsin. There is no other way. They are the most known quantity in the world. They are. They are. Our entire economy should be based on Wisconsin football. It would be the most well, consistently prosperous con- economy in the world. Uh, yeah, well, it was also kind of based on Wisconsin's vote, which uh, is a different... hey uh, <clears throat> So, I, well, I mean, I think, yeah, basically it, it starts off as a, as a jab at Wisconsin, but then it ends up basically answering itself. Like, they, they, they don't out-recruit Nebraska. They don't get better recruiting rankings than any of these schools, at least not really. They, but they, they have established a, a, an identity and a culture, and they play to it. And they make sure when they have to replace a new coach every two years, they bring in a guy who, who understands that identity pretty well. Um, and that's how you get, like, in, in the last, what, eight years in S&P, they've been 10th, 19th, 10th, 14th, 17th, 18th, 34th, So if you consider the top 10, 12, 14 teams as national title contenders, they've been – they've been contenders three times in the last eight years. Now, maybe that's too big an umbrella, but the bottom line is there. I mean, Iowa almost made the playoff two years ago um, from the Big Ten West with a top 40 team, not a top 15 team. So technically, by that standard, Wisconsin is not that far away from contending. But uh, they beat LSU last year. I don't, I don't, I don't know what else they really have to prove. They, they are not a top three or four program, obviously, but – they're consistently top 20 and you know, they, they lose a bunch on defense. They're still good on defense the next year. They change coaches. They're still, they, they still stink at passing. No freaking question about that. Um, but they're not that far away from having the number eight, 10 and four offenses in, in respective seasons in terms of offensive S and P plus um, they can move the freaking ball when they got the right pieces. They can stop you from moving the ball when they have the right pieces and they tend to have the right pieces on either one side of the ball or the other. So I, if you're Wisconsin, aren't, I mean, if you, I, I, I see nothing wrong with any of that. They are by far the most proven entity year to year in the Big Ten West right now. If they beat, that's, um, that's if they beat Penn State in Indianapolis, we, it's not that we don't have this conversation or the question doesn't get asked, but we shift back into that like uh, mentality we had when Bielema was doing the Rose Bowls. And I know some people have pointed out that those Bielema Rose Bowls are kind of the same way of like, well, James Franklin won a Vanderbilt when this, you know, insane amount of coincidental bad things is happening in the SEC, mainly to the East. doesn't matter. He still did it. Bielema still went to the Rose Bowl with Wisconsin how many times, Bill? Three straight years, I believe. So if they beat Penn State this year, they go to the Rose Bowl. I definitely think they lose to USC like Penn State did, probably in a much less exciting fashion. But we start talking with about Wisconsin again is just that just the sh- just a hair off of you know the Big Ten's national title contenders and then what does it take for that one or with those one or two pieces and are they too conservative but instead it, it falls back into that more wishy-washy eight to ten win category whatever they are they are a quantity under themselves and in the level of consistency that is both admirable and ignored that's this is me trying not to make the Wisconsin jokes they I don't really have a problem with them either it. way they they've won ten games a year for the last twelve years. Jeez, I, I mean, how? I mean, what what more? Like, we can if we're thinking they're only overrated in the sense of if you're talking about them as like comparable to Alabama. Otherwise, 
they are one of the most steady uh, known quantities in college football, and and that's what they are. If you want to, if 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 I don't know, the only time I can think of them as being truly overrated is when they headed into that Rose Bowl with I think it was the TCU Rose Bowl, yeah, where everybody's like, well, if they were a playoff, they'd have been in it, and they'd be the they'd be the title favorite right now. They were never that good that year, uh, and I mean, I think they ended up tenth in S and P that year, so. But that was that one time where they were kind of overrated. Otherwise, they've been very properly rated, I think. I think anecdotally, like Iowa fans will tell you this, when you're on that side of that league, you tend to measure your worth um, in terms of, of how you play specifically against Ohio State and Michigan. And I know you can say that about everyone in the league, but the, the, the heartland side of that league obviously has the tendency to get ignored, and we look at the West as being the weaker division and even before there was a West like that. Those schools out there, they don't get the amount of media attention that Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State do. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what their record against Ohio State is in, in, during that run. Um, I would venture to say that it's, if it's 500, it's probably not much more than 500. So uh, same Probably same goes with Michigan. I'd have to pull that up. I'm sure some... Um... Since I already had it pulled up, they lost by seven last year, obviously. Um, they, they will never undo getting completely and totally humiliated in the 2014 Big Ten title game by, by a mean Ohio State team. But before that, lost by seven in 2013, lost by seven in 2012, lost by four in 2011, won by 13 in 2010. Um Let's see. Lost by eighteen in '09. Lost by three in '08. Uh, so ba- to, yeah. basically, on average, they lose by about four to seven points to Ohio State. So this um, is where I think this is where some of the perception is feeding in. I think I think I found the problem. It's your radiator. Um, it's Ohio State. Meanwhile, they just haven't played Michigan in a while. Right, they lost right. by seven last year, but in 2010 they won by 20. 2009 they won by 21, but that was not. Right. Michigan, at like Jim Harbaugh's Michigan. Yeah, so they they, just they, they, the schedule didn't rotate Harbaugh. the same way. So there's your problem. I think it has a hell of a lot less to do with the win total and the, the near miss on conference titles or Rose Bowls or national titles. I think it has to do with the, here's a team that is such a consistent winner and is this is why they're unheralded. This is sort of the whole thing right here. This is why, like, when you do have teams from the Western side, from the heartland, like 85 Iowa or even last year's Iowa or help me here, Bill, I don't know. Um, any of those teams from the, the neglected side of that league, you measure your worth on Ohio state and Michigan and Wisconsin hasn't been the consistent strong winner against Ohio state. So they become an afterthought. And then thus nationally that gets reflected or refracted. I, I, I'm just like, who, who's trying to paint them as an Ohio state. There is, you know, when we talk about Wisconsin, I think, because I tell you, maybe, I tell you why bill it's because it's because football fan X out in the West coast or in the Southeast looks at Wisconsin. Damn, they won 10 games. Like, I guarantee it's some guy South of Birmingham. Who's probably sitting on his porch on new year's day at 60 degrees. And he goes, oh, damn it. Wisconsin's in one of those Florida bowls again. What's their deal? Like, are they that good or why haven't they been better? And then you, interpret that through what they do against teams that we know about on a national level, like the brands, like Ohio State and Michigan. I think, you know, just generally, like conceptually, I think we um, we think of, of the tiers of programs as very far apart and, and how that ends up happening is, or how that ends up affecting our view of Wisconsin or any other Wisconsin-type schools is that they're clearly not Ohio State, Alabama, et cetera. 
So they're second tier. So but then what, we watch them play well consistently and win 9, 10, 11 games every year. And we think, man, they're better than um, – who's another – well, they're better than Iowa. They're better than all these other teams I think are in second tier. They're underrated. But then we – so we push them up. But then it's like we're pushing them straight up into that top tier again where they're clearly not as good as Ohio State. So we push them back down and then we push them back up. Uh, instead of just kind of establishing a nice, happy residence in like an A minus B plus area, uh, we end up, they, they kind of end up a team without a tier in a way. So it, uh, it just popped into my head the best analog in the South would be that this is a Georgia type run, sans the titles and recognition, you know? Yeah, Georgia's better than Wisconsin, or was better than Wisconsin, but that's just me. Yikes. Okay, we'll have that conversation. Bill, we did it again. We, we, turned, we turned a decent bit of nothing into something. Do we have one more that's question? Good. Actually, a couple more quick reader questions uh, to get to just so I can say we got to them. Uh, Fine. We really suck at this. Um, I have no response to this. I just I, I saw this on I, I saw what he's about to reference and I wanted him to bring it up. Uh, our friend Gary Bonowell uh, from a, a week ago says PAP and scheduling the wrong team is the, the name of the subject line. Uh, I think that's more like PAP and colon. Um, Hi, I was looking at the Wikipedia page for Old Dominion's football uh, team, CUSA tie-in, and I saw that in 1932, Old Dominion, at the time known as William and Mary Norfolk Division, played the University of Miami after receiving an invitation that was intended for the original William and Mary. The story struck me as rather bizarre, so I thought I'd ask a guy who has has just spent a year-plus researching college football history, were there a lot of games in olden times that were played after sending the invitation to the wrong school, or did I stumble across an odd quirk of college football's history? I did, um, in kind of trying to prep to make sure I got the dates right on all of Old Dominion's transition and everything, I, I pulled up their Wikipedia page and saw that and really, really wanted to work it into the preview and couldn't figure out how. So I just wanted to give that some oxygen here. It is hilarious. They basically, I know, of, I do not believe that was a common thing. But yes, Miami ended up, I, I believe, murdering Old Dominion's football team because they thought they were trying to invite William and Mary. Um, here's an actual question. Our friend Stephen Eden uh, from also seven days ago. I uh, love the podcast. Best sports podcast since Keith Law went off the air. All right. Okay. Um, I submitted these questions before, but made the mistake of sending them to only Godfrey, so I, so I thought I'd resubmit. Into the uh, abyss. Two questions below. Use one or both or neither. We can, make, we can go through them really quickly. Number one, if the Big East was resurrected as a foot, D1 football conference, assuming the same teams as their last year, Temple, UConn, Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Rutgers, Cincinnati, Louisville, and USF, would they be considered a power conference or a group of five conference? It, yeah. It's a mix of mostly bad power five schools and some pretty good group of five schools. What defines a quote-unquote power school anyway? Quality, budget, what conference they joined in 1932? Um, if they joined, like, this, I thought we've answered this question. Well, we—I—I I don't know if we've answered. The, well, we've—we've we've talked about it a lot, so I, I wanted to acknowledge it. Um, uh, well, I, I mean, if they formed that conference tomorrow, it would be considered Group of Five, right? Yes, easily. So, but if they had just never dissolved the Big East and they hadn't lost Louisville and Syracuse and Pitt and blah 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 blah, mm. I. It would maybe still kind of be treated as a power conference because it was a power conference, right? I mean, that's. Like, you would have to, like, almost formally relegate them, and I'm not sure at what point that would have happened or how. But anyway, it's kind of, you know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to answer that question mainly because um, the schools that you just rattled off at the end were all – they had, had all fleed to Power 5 conferences right. and then sort of became Power 5. They got the rub, as you would say in pro wrestling, like, 
on their own. It, I don't know if that amalgamation of right, basically that conference wouldn't exist. They'd have either died yeah. as they did, or they would have added schools. I'm gonna go no. Ago. Okay. Uh, his second question, I love your advanced stats, but I don't see penalties incorporated anywhere specifically. I assume all else being equal that an off penalized team would perform worse than one that is seldom penalized and that this is a skill that can be coached and it is not random. So why not include it as a factor? Um, two quick things about this. And I'm glad I, I'm happy to have a chance to talk about this because I made this decision a long time ago and you know, it's probably not fair to assume that everybody reads what I write, huh? Um, Number one, penalties themselves really don't have any correlation overall to being good or not good. Um, and that's basically because they're kind of two different types of, of penalties, uh, more really. But there's basically the procedural type um, that sucks and that absolutely does drag you down. The false starts and things like that that are um, kind of the, the uh, among other things, a sign of a bad offense. Um, but then there are the penalties of you trying to straddle the line between being aggressive and being too aggressive. And I mean, I think the dirty little secret overall is that a coach doesn't mind seeing a couple personal foul penalties, um, because that means they're being properly aggressive. Uh, if you, if you commit 12 personal foul penalties, it's a problem, but generally speaking, uh, a sign of a team that commits a lot of a lot of some of those penalties is a sign of a good team that just kind of goes over the line a little bit too much. So um, I, I would, if I were able to, with the data that I received, with the play-by-play data that I have, if I were able to distinguish between the procedural penalties and the quote-unquote like penalties of aggression, then I would try to work in the procedural penalties as a sign of, of poor quality. But I, I only get that it was a penalty, not what the penalty was, so I can't uh, categorize it in that way. Um, and I can't use penalties then because overall they don't have uh, – when you can't specify, they don't have much of an effect. Boom. I'll take your answer for that. Yeah. Solid. Okay. So we checked off reader questions. We looked at the comments from last week's post. We uh, – I don't know if We're we did good. anything on Twitter. We'll say we did Twitter. We, we covered our bases. Uh, so, yeah, we are going to try this again one more time. Uh, if you have questions for next week's show, put them in the comments section at SB Nation when we put this podcast up. And we'll see we how that goes. We'll try to remind ourselves to look. And, and, if you, and if, it doesn't have to be a question for the show. If you just guys, it, we'll jump in there at different points and just answer random, like to try and start an actual conversation. This is partly inspired by like traffic needs and community based buzzword 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 internet things but then also it's mainly just like trying to create a hub so we could all keep it straight um bill yo whoo that was a tough one was it another thin week yeah as always we thank you for your time uh you can follow bill on twitter at sb uh excuse me one more time you can follow bill Connolly on twitter at sb nation uh bill at sbn underscore bill c there you go and this idiot uh, at Twitter, at 38Godfrey. Be sure to subscribe and review SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, your mom, anywhere else, anybody handing out the podcast, all right? Uh, Bill, do you want to do this again the next week? But don't answer yes if you want to talk about the Mac. Uh, That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I'll deal with this, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>